The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and I am here with the fabulous Dr. Doreen Grampichet. We're so excited. It's Wednesday, and we have Dr. Grampichet here with us. She's going to be answering your questions. Good morning, Dr. Grampichet. Good morning, Shannon. Lovely to be here again. I'm so glad to have you here. It always brightens my day. I want to remind everybody that we're going to be live with you for the next hour, and that this hour is meant to be interactive. We want to hear from you. We want to know your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, your concerns, whatever, whatever you've got, send it over our way. And there's lots of different ways to connect with us and to get your voice heard. Uh, you can watch us. We're, we're live right now on Twitter, on Periscope, on um, YouTube. And we're also live on our homepage, which is autism-live.com. And we are live on Facebook. Now, later on, this will be podcast in a couple of different places. You can watch us as a free download on iTunes, either picture and sound or just sound. If you want to take us on your hike, on your morning hike, you can absolutely do that. We are also sound only on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Deezer. I also want to let you guys know um, that some of you may not realize that on Saturdays, we do what we call the marathon, where all of the shows from the week play on Saturday. And they don't just play once, they play twice. So that's really wonderful. And we're enjoying, if you're watching us on Saturday, you're watching the marathon. And that's a really cool thing. Thanks to Traven for, for making that happen. I mentioned autism-live.com is our homepage. And when you go there, there is a, an anonymous chat. If you're like, oh, I'd like to put a question on Facebook, but I don't, wanna, I don't want everybody to know my business. I had a friend who used to say, I don't want to put my business on the streets, right? <laughs> so if you want to be anonymous, go over to autism-live.com. There's a chat button at the bottom of the page and you can chat with us there. It shows up here on my iPad. Um, so that's the deal. Now also, Dr. Doreen Grampichet is an amazing expert, I believe the preeminent expert in the field of autism. And she is graciously giving us our, our, her time so that we can ask questions. But I wanna point out that there is no expert who could give individual specific advice in this format. So that's not what she's gonna do. Please write in as specifically as you can about what's happening, give her lots of details. And also let her and I know what the closest major city is so that we might have a better idea about what resources might be available. But understand that her, the information she's gonna give you is general in nature because she doesn't have eyes on the situation. And it would be like disrespect to assume that she could know everything without having eyes on the situation. But she will help you to get information so that you can go back to the expert who does have eyes on the situation and have more questions to ask, better questions to ask, and more information to be checking out. And I know that you guys love that because you write in and say all the time how helpful it is to you. So Dr. Grampichet, thank you for that. Um, and thank you for being here. And um, I just, I haven't given you a chance to say anything. Did you want to say anything? No, that's all right. I just thank you. And it's always a pleasure to be here. And I look forward to answering questions. Well, I'm going to jump right into questions then, if that's okay. Um, uh, so the first question I have is, hi, my son is 15 years old with autism, is verbal, and has a learning disability, is very sensitive to how people speak to him. And at times, he thinks he's being told off when he actually isn't. Even if someone accidentally knocks against him or he knocks against them, his immediate response is to hit out. 
Have you any suggestions how I can help him to stop re reacting like this? And thank you. Yeah, so I remember dealing with stuff like this many, many years ago. It was when I started to realize that, you know, we, we tend to uh, uh, just think of our kids as being so different that we think there's got to be a different reason for it. Um, and realistically, if you just take his exact situation, you can easily uh, just see things from his perspective. I think it starts to make a lot of sense. Um, it, we tend to overreact and get frustrated when we don't have a full uh, understanding of what's going on. And I think in his case as well, uh, it's a matter of just understanding the th uh, the things that are going on around him better. Uh, we had, I remember the first lesson that I wrote about something similar to this was um, a child who a parent came to me and said that their child gets very, very upset, got very, very upset and had a major meltdown in school when a, another child accidentally kicked over their iPad, their um, backpack. And it, it occurred to me that a lot of our kids don't understand the difference between intentionality and accident, right? Something happening by accident as opposed to intentions. And that actually led to a whole series of lessons that we wrote on the subject because it also uh, then uh, led us to the whole path of our kids recognizing when someone is laughing with them as opposed to at them all of that. And then this brought us back to it, full circle, Shannon, to the realization that it all has to do with theory of mind. So, um, you know, for the viewers, theory of mind, again, is uh, the, the, the idea that a lot of our uh, individuals who are diagnosed with autism have a hard time understanding that their mind is separate from the mind of other people. Um, and if you have separate minds, then that mind, someone else's mind can think things completely differently and perceive things and uh, just have their own universe of thought as, as your mind. And so this then uh, shows in multiple different areas. For example, uh, in this particular situation that you're talking about, um, when a child doesn't realize that other people have different intentions, uh, they will always just go with what they think is the primary intention. And often that primary intention is not really the case, right? So it it's not so much about dealing with the scenario that the parent uh, describes, like, you know, if something touches them, they fly off the handle. It's not so much about dealing with that particular scenario. It's about dealing, teaching the individual the whole concept of other people's minds, other people's perspectives, other people's thoughts, other people's intentions, other people's beliefs. Um, and we have a whole curriculum area, not just a few lessons, but we have an entire curriculum area just focused on this concept and it is called our cognitive curriculum uh, cognition so when you go to skills for autism uh, which i recommend for everyone because it's a really good curriculum out there um, you should look in the cognition curriculum and that entire section has to do with uh, teaching our kids how to see the world from someone else's perspective. And that, believe me, will help not only this particular scenario, but as a whole, it'll help your child be able to change perspectives. And when you're able to change perspectives, it, it just helps you in, in a million different ways. In social behavior, it's a very vital part of social behavior as well as many different areas. 
And, I, you know, I just want to address a couple of quick things here that um, somebody wrote in and said, is this live or recorded? Have I, have I heard this question before? And I want to say it is absolutely live. It is June 24th uh, on Wednesday morning, absolutely live. But you're so on it because this question came in last week. And so I read the question and said we would wait. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about how my son went through this phase, but I said we would wait and hear from an expert. So you are not imagining that you heard this question before because it came in on Thursday. Uh, also saying hello to Christina and we're saying hello to Michelle. We're saying hello to Anyan Yi. I hope I'm saying that right, uh, to Laura and to Nasser. Uh, and so um, thrilled that everybody is here and, and starting to write in. Uh, also, because Dr. Grampy-Shea mentioned skills, I want to make sure everybody knows skillsforautism.com, but it alerted me to the fact that I also want to give you guys the 411 on what's um, happening with IBT, and I'm going to get that email up because IBT, which is the Institute for Behavioral Training, has free trainings available um, that they're giving away during uh, COVID. And they've already given away, um, each week there are different videos, they've given away ones that were for parents, but this week they wanna give you access to ones that are meant for educators. And I think that that's a great idea for a bunch of different reasons, because I always say that when it's time for um, Teacher Appreciation Week to give them IBT trainings, because it's the gift that keeps on giving, not only is it less expensive than any other teacher gift you could give, but it will help your teacher to see that you're helping them. And if you have a good teacher, teachers like to learn, right? It will help them to run their classroom in a way um, that's better for your child, but for every child who comes after your child. So it's a really great thing. I'm gonna bring that up in a little while, um, all the different um, ones that are available this week that are free, but you can go to ibehavioraltraining.com to check out um, all of the things that they have. Please make sure if you go to skills, skillsforautism.com, um, and I'll, I should already have this email up. I'm talking about it and don't have the email up. Um, but when you talk to the folks at Skills, if you go to skillsforautism.com, if you call them, make sure that you tell them you're friends with me, ask for the friends and family discount, you will get 10% off. We love, love, love that. Uh, okay, now I've completely marked up my computer where everything is, Dr. Grand So <laughs> I can't walk, talk, and chew gum at the same time. Um, okay, here we go. So next question, and while you're answering this, I will bring up the other email about uh, the Institute for Behavioral Training. The, the question right now is, we've just started therapy, and we're doing a combination of telehealth and in-home therapy. What's the difference uh, between this and being in the center? Great question. Glad you asked. Very good question. And it's going to be different answers for different people. But um, here is how I see the difference. Um, almost everyone can be okay with telehealth supervision. Pretty much it doesn't really matter. And parent training as well. Uh, I mean, we've, we used to train people on, with the use of video when, when there was no such thing as, as Zoom or Adobe. And so a telehealth parent training and supervision, no problem at all. Um, for other kids, for kids who are a little bit more affected, so it's hard for them to sit in front of a, a, a monitor um, for a variety of reasons, Telehealth therapy will be a little bit difficult because the child will have much shorter sessions, will not necessarily, it'll be possible for the child to escape, right? And avoid. So it'll become very difficult. And, and also keep in mind, the delivery of reinforcers are, are, are limited on, on the screen. And the whole concept of ABA has to do with reinforcer delivery. So if I'm not able to, after a while, if what I'm showing on the screen becomes not rewarding enough, there don't have a lot of options. So these are the limitations with telehealth. Um, having said that, there's positives as well. I mean, if I'm working with a higher functioning individual who 
prefers privacy, then telehealth might afford more privacy. Or if I'm working with individuals who are very visual in nature, then the screen might offer more visual prompting. So those are the positives. In-home therapy is fine and it's great. And it's the way that we used to do services for many, many, many years. Um, uh, the, the reason that we switched to center-based therapy was that we conducted a research uh, uh, project many years ago. I don't remember exactly when it was, Shannon, like mid 2000s. And yeah, I, think, I think it was 2015 is when the study came out, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so we would have been doing it around like 2013, maybe 14, I don't know. And so basically what we found was that uh, the kids, we did two sets of studies, actually. We, we first looked at patients who were receiving in-home services versus patients who were receiving in-center. Uh, and at that time, remember, we had 75% of our therapy was in-home. So we contrasted the two. And we, re, uh, shockingly, I thought in-home would be actually a higher rate of acquisition, but it ended up being half of the acquisition that was happening in the centers. So center training was much faster. We were accomplishing a lot more in the same amount of time, um, twice as much more. Our kids in the centers were learning way faster. So then I thought, we, I talked with Dennis, Dr. Dennis Dixon, who runs research at CARD, and I said, well, maybe this has something to do with just the particular kids. So maybe we should run a second study where it's children who are receiving services in both environments and see which environment they're learning in faster. So then we looked at only the kids with us, the patients with us who were receiving both in-home and center-based, just so there would be no confound that, hey, it could have been that all the kids in the centers were for some reason getting easier programs or they were just learning, whatever. So we looked at the same group of kids who were receiving services in both environments and we found again, they, were, they themselves were learning a lot faster in the centers. We came back and theorized that the reason for this was that there's a lot of distraction in the home, um, maybe there's noise, there's a variety of things, but it doesn't really matter. Bottom line is the data, the research that we did showed us that the kids learn a lot faster in a center. Later on, we came to realize there's other additional benefits, obviously, um, such as social uh, opportunities. Right now, unfortunately, there's we're pretty restricted in the social aspects of what we can do in a center. You know, we had uh, gyms and we had social gather, you know, center-based activities like that all the kids could do together and so on. And a lot of those are on hold right now due to COVID-19 issues. But uh, that said, I think the, the main thing about center base is that the, the supervisors are there. The BCBAs are present on at the center and they're roaming the floor and they're observing uh, and making corrections and making changes. And so things tend to happen a little bit faster Right now for COVID period, I wouldn't worry too much because hopefully this is not gonna go on forever. And so if you are, if your child is learning through home-based, um, you can maintain some home-based hours. I would encourage you to try to get back to the center, even if it's for just a few blocks of time. Um, you know, there's this whole other aspect, Shannon, we were talking about, which is, the more we stay home, the more we start to develop agoraphobia, you know, all what? of us. What? Yeah, all of us. I, I don't mean, know anything about that. <laughs> yes. I mean, I just, I, honestly, I just, uh, my youngest, as you know, Shannon is in, is in university in San Francisco. Of course, they've all been home for COVID, but truth is university will start up again in August. And so we had to just do a few days of a drive trip up to the San Francisco area to look for apartments and stuff. And I'm going back again in a week or so, but uh, it is, it's, a, it's a very unusual feeling to be out there. And 
the sooner you all, I think, and, and especially the kids are able to do it safely, uh, the better, I think, because we all start to get very afraid of being out there. And, and I worry about our kids being even more so than us, Shannon. Like, you know, the, with us, it's one thing, like we tell ourselves to be very cautious. And honestly, California is fantastic with this because I've been to other states where people don't even own a mask. Like, it's crazy to me. But the truth is that um, when you, if you avoid it too long, it starts to become very, very overwhelming and scary. And so for your children, I think it's a safe place. We are very, very cautious right now. And we do extreme COVID procedures. So it is a safe place to reintroduce your child uh, to, you know, so that they can, they can not develop a massive fear of going out. So long, long answer to, to summarize, essentially telehealth is fine for various kids for some, for the purposes of supervision and parent training. In-home is fine for all kids, um, but you're gonna have twice as much acquisition if, uh, once you get back to the centers. I just wanna add to that, that, um, you know, in terms of from the parent perspective, um, each one of them has a little bit different time commitment from you and a little bit difference in terms of how, how you will perceive them. But for some folks that are doing telehealth, the parents are, are getting very involved and learning lots of things, which is really spectacular. I have been blown away by some parents who have been participating in their kids' therapy through telehealth and, and say, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I've learned so much and we're we're making so much progress, but it's a time commitment. Um, and then if you're doing one-on-one -on -one in the home, that's a different time commitment for the parent um, and you know, having your home ready for therapy and those kinds of things. Dropping kids off at the center involves taking a car trip, but there is, there is that separation and it is a respite also for the parent while the child is at the center. So I just wanna, I just wanna point that out to parents because I think everybody has a different sliding scale of, of what they need and what's most important. And I love that Dr. Grampuche talked about it in terms of how much the child will learn, but I just wanted to address that for parents too, because it is different. It is different based on which one you choose. Um, so I mentioned that I would have the IBT stuff. If you don't mind, Dr. Grampuche, I'm gonna run through that really quickly because I think it's super important. Um, so the Institute for Behavioral Training, ibehavioraltraining.com, uh, I mentioned that they have been giving away their parent trainings, which you could look at those under, if you go to the tab that says health and human services, then you go to caregiver, and then you go to parent e-learning. And they had been giving those away on a rotating schedule throughout the last three months. If you missed that and you see one or two of them that you're like, oh, darn it, I missed it. All you need to do is call 877 975 four, five, five, nine, and tell them that you watched Autism Live and that you're friends and family with Shannon, and they said that they will hook you up. Um, but right now, the, um, the trainings that are free are under the educator tab. If you go to edu educator and then go to getting started, um, there are a whole host of videos there, um, history and culture of autism, Diagnosis and School Services, Understanding the Autism Diagnosis, Understanding Standardized Assessments for Children on the Autism Spectrum, Scientific Evidence Supporting Early Intensive Behavioral Intervention for Children with Autism Spectrum Disorder Disorders. Everyone should watch that and everyone should give that to their school. Um, alternative Treatments for uh, Students with Autism, effective collaboration across professionals, integrating the student's family, planning a successful parent-teacher conference, and knowing family dynamics. So you go to ibehavioraltraining.com, you go to education, then it'll go K through 12, you go to educator e-learning, and then you put these into your cart, the getting started videos, and then in the promo code, you're gonna write COVID-19. COVID is all capitals, it is case sensitive. So C-O-V-I-D, all caps, 
hyphen 19. If you've done it properly, it will zero out your account and say that you own nothing. And that is when you hit the purchase and you will have those videos to watch, which will be super. Also, again, don't forget if you call 877-975-4559, um, you can, if you're ordering, you can ask for the parent, any of the parent e-learnings, but also ask for any skills product with a 10% discount. Just make sure that you say that you are friends and family with Shannon. I have lots and friend, friends and family. Uh, <laughs> And I like it that way. Uh, okay, so on the on our um, chat, um, my uh, somebody wrote in and said that they have a new BT and they're learning faster um, about her son in home during COVID. My son is thriving. Uh, we lost three BTs last couple of weeks. It's hard, but I'm excited about sharing my son with a new BT. And um, and they said thank you very much to Card, which I love. I just want to take a second, Dr. Grampuche, to talk about with families the fact that um, it doesn't matter which ABA provider you're with, um, behavioral therapists come and go. Mm -hmm. They they are of a certain age where they are, you know, they're moving and shaking and going places and doing things, and they move across country to be with their girlfriend boyfriend. I always say, you know, because I had the one therapist that we just loved and she was like, oh, I'm leaving to go be an au pair in Australia. And I was like, what? Why would you do that? Because they're at an age where they go and do things like that. So it's hard, it's hard in the family. And whenever it happens, it feels like a death, but I'm always trying to point out to people that is a natural course of events and that it's actually in a lot of ways, I have the perspective now from having my kid graduate from his ABA program. It's actually one of the best things for your kid because they learn, look, you've got a new therapist that just came and, and your kid is thriving. And, and because he's had different therapists, I, it's my experience that he's going to do better in school. What would you like to say about that, Dr. Grampuche? Yeah, and, and not just school. I mean, I completely agree with you. It's very, very tough. And I first, I want to start by saying I fully empathize with this situation. I have I, uh, when my kids were young and they were growing up, I had uh, au pair help, you know, uh, young girls who would come from Germany because their dad was German. And, and so we had German au pairs and they would uh, live with us. And I'm telling you when they left, they were only here for six months or a year. It was, it was a, a upheaval in my life that I did not want. And it was for my kids, very disturbing. And sometimes it would be more than frequent because they weren't working out. But, and it was just, I remember being devastated for when some of them left. I fully remember that. But I want to say now looking back at it, it was a very good thing because my kids learned different things from each one. Um, and, and more importantly, when you look at life in general, Shannon, if everyone was exactly the same for our kids. They would never learn to deal with difficult situations. They'd never learn to deal with, let's say, the, the therapist who doesn't give as much reward uh, or the therapist who doesn't give as much prompting or the therapist who, whatever. Like things that we think are not good. Like we want our kids to have the perfect person who is going to reward and prompt and so on. So, but that's not real life. That is not real life. And our kids eventually need to go out there and be able to deal with the bad teacher, right? And, the, and that therapist who's a little bit more tough to deal with is going to prepare your child for the bad teacher more than the fantastic therapist who used to give every... Yeah, I remember there was a parent who would tell me that uh, the, the therapist they had was fantastic because they gave all the instructions in very short phrases and very loud. So it worked really well for their child. And I was like, yeah, but that's never going to generalize to the real world, right? So it's that scenario. And I, I, I still want to say I completely empathize. I get where the parents are come from, but yeah. it, in the long run, it's okay. And it's going to be good. Now, Having said that, uh, there are just some therapists who are not meant for this field. 
And if you end up having a therapist where things are not going well for your child, you must bring that up to the supervisor and make sure they hear you um, and pay attention to it. And sometimes there, a change is necessary or you know, that therapist just needs to not, not be working in this field. Yeah, it's not for everybody. Hey, we've had a couple of people write in uh, things about IBT. Somebody said IBT for special needs bus driver would be awesome. I just want to point out that there is a training that is meant for um, church and camp and, and workers that are like crossing guards. So it'd be interesting for you to um, call IBT, ask them if you can take a look at that one and see if it fits for the special needs bus drivers. And if it doesn't, um, we will you know, I, we will let IBT know that that's of interest because we've seen a lot of things go wrong on buses. We absolutely have. Um, but um, a lot of times IBT is on it. So they may already, may already have something. Uh, also, somebody said it would be great to have a Spanish version for my old fashioned mother-in-law that doesn't understand behavior or ABA. And I want you to know that there are some IBT trainings that are already translated into Spanish. Um, take a look at, on the website to see which ones and give them a call if there's something specific that, that isn't there. Um, and thank you very much for that. We always love to hear comments and, and bury them over to IBT. Uh, next question. I became an RBT for my son already. How much do we love this person? Uh, <laughs> I worked for almost three years with children. I had nerve damage and had to change my job and my certification expires next month. So now it feels like all those days were wasted and behind me. Uh, what do you want to say to that person, Dr. Grant Pichet? Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't, I, I would not give up on your certification. First of all, you could reach out to the BACB board, the behavioral, uh, the behavior, BACB, Behavior Analysis Certification Board. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, yeah, there's another board, as you know, the BICC, and I always confuse those two. So yeah, I would reach out to them and say, you are a parent, you have an RBT, you don't want to lose it. This is the, your scenario, and they might give you an extension on your renewal. So that's one thing. Or they might give you a different way. And by the way, um, there is a possible different way, I think, which has to do with uh, uh, having someone reevaluate your performance. So there are different ways to maintain your certification. The other thing, and I don't just get a delay, get a postponement so that you have more time to get your supervision hours. Uh, the other thing is it doesn't really matter in your case unless you want to actually work in the field all the knowledge that you gained is not going anywhere. It's not about the certificate so much as it is about what you learned. And I would really recommend that you maintain your continuing education. You can do that again through IBT. Um, IBT has a ton of continuing ed uh, information. I mean, like, you know, IBT has stuff that's all the way advanced for BCBAs. So, um, I would really recommend that if you are an RBT and you'd like to just maintain your education and stay fresh and start keep learning new things, uh, use IBT's uh, programs. They are amazing. There's stuff on there that would be refresher for me. So uh, please, uh, you know, don't feel like you've wasted time at all. Just keep going. Wonderful. Uh, somebody wrote in and said, I'm okay with my son having a new BT, a behavioral therapist, but I love, and there's like seven O's and three V's and seven E's are BCBA and would not be able to handle it if she left. She's amazing. And I love hearing that. I will tell you, you know, my, uh, my BCBA changed at one point and I thought the same thing and the new BCBA opened new doors. I like everybody brings something fresh, but I, but the other thing I want people to know is that um, we have a, we have a group at card that's called the PTA um, and it's the parents, the parents group, the parents that are truly amazing is what PTA stands for. And we've discovered this really fun thing that if you want to keep somebody on your team that's, you know, like your BCBA or whatever, is to like really reinforce them. 
like write them letters and tell them how amazing they are. Have your kid do artwork uh, and, and on the bottom say, you know, this is, this is possible because of you. Um, that we've seen over the years that when we write letters to those people and tell them what their work means, they tend to stay longer. <laughs> and we love this. It's like a little magic trick. Um, so we love it. Uh, anything you want to add to that, Dr. Because everybody likes reinforcement, don't they? That's, that's why we function. That's, that's why we're So, yes. Uh, so, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. Uh, no, all right. No, I wanted that our viewers, to, if you're with CARD, and I'm pretty sure it's the same with any organization, you, if you really love your VCBA, let their boss know. Mm. Let their boss know how good they are. Fabulous. Uh, my son is seven and he uses the robotic voice when asking for thinned in a sentence, for things in a sentence, I think or he mimics my voice. How do I help him with this? He has speech and language delay, uses a few sentences, mostly single words. Yeah, so um, there is a whole section, again, going back to products that we've already kind of put on the market for our parents. There's a whole section on uh, speech prosody and intonation in skills. Uh, skillsforautism.com <clears throat> and it would be under the language curriculum I bet I believe um, so you should you, that's one resource for you um, to look at because again like everything else it's not just one lesson it's a whole series of things that you have to do gradually over time so that your child starts to understand these things like with speech prosody it has to do with actually getting it under control. So getting that the child to imitate different sounds, that different expressions or prosody is the sound of language. So uh, when you say, like, for example, if you say, um, uh, how are you versus how are you? They, they completely are different things, right, to us. And those types of things are things you can practice with your child, especially if they're modeling after your speech or trying to sound like you in some cases, it means, and, and they're also imitating maybe other things like on TV and so on. So it means that you need to basically uh, start to teach them different intonations and sounds for different meanings. So uh, one, uh, these are the lessons that are in skills. That's kind of what I was referring to. But like, for instance, um, if you just start teaching how to use the same word as a statement versus a question, that's one way to do it. Another one is to uh, use very, very, well, your child is using single words, I think you said mostly. So you're not even at the point of trying to teach the child uh, you know, sentence intonation. So I think right now, the two things would be to show the child how saying something as a, as a statement is different than as a question. You could just change the intonation. You could record the child and have them listen to themselves. Uh, you could have the child try to imitate uh, the, the way peers or other children say things. Um, all of that. So th there's a lot of different ways, but a lot of it is listed in a whole section on speech prosody in, uh, in the skills curriculum. I would probably start there. And I'm not sure I would spend a whole lot of time on it right at this phase of your child development. I would probably start doing growth on the speech itself, just increasing sentence structure increasing from one word to two to five, increasing the number of words in the sentence prior to really worrying too much about the speech prosody. Wonderful. Uh, the next question we have is my 13 year old screams and says horrible things. We tell him to go to his room and he becomes hysterical, not in control and won't go to his room. I have younger children. How can I make this stop? Yeah, so we are actually today at, uh, is that the, the, the one? Oh, I think that's for card parents. I don't, I'm guessing this is not a card parent. 
So I'm doing a lecture with Shannon at four o'clock today for, for card parents on just how to manage challenging behavior. And this is, um, like, so I'll go back to explaining the whole concept of challenging behavior. It, challenging behavior is not a, a, a kind of a, one of the symptoms of autism. It's a side effect of not being able to communicate over time and of the world uh, accommodating us. So in other words, over time, your child has learned that this form of challenging behavior is effective. Uh, it has worked for him. Uh, when he goes hysterical and, and out of control, I'm guessing he nobody really wants to go close to him or actually uh, make him go to his room. So he basically ends up getting attention, probably getting the object or thing he wanted, probably getting to avoid scenarios that he didn't want. So it's effective. Um, and the short answer to this is that when, when anything, when any kind of challenging behavior or any kind of behavior is effective, we continue to do it. So the way to make this change is to make sure that it, it becomes ineffective so that when he tantrums or screams or so on, he doesn't get to avoid uh, what was being asked of him. Um, and he doesn't get attention and he doesn't gain access to tangibles or situations that he uh, was trying to get access to, but that he gets all those goodies only when he is asking properly or only when he's communicating properly. So uh, it becomes very clear to the child that this set of behaviors are ineffective, but these more appropriate functional behaviors are effective. And then we end up doing those. Uh, the way that we do that in ABA is by identifying first what the function is. So exactly why is the child doing this behavior? And then we change the, the uh, things around the behavior. We change the antecedents, the things that happen before the behavior. We change the things that happen after the behavior, the consequences. And when we change those parameters around the behavior, those criteria, the behavior tends to change. So let's say, uh, did the did the parents say why when this happens? Uh, no. no, just so that like, they're thirteen. Yeah. So like, if I let's say you ask the child to go to their room and they refuse to go, in that particular scenario, you would have to physically help the child go to their room, um, and if that's too difficult and, and thing for you to do, then you wouldn't ask them to go to their room. You would only, you would fully follow through with anything that you ask. So in that particular scenario, maybe it's just a matter of put, you know, ignoring the child while they're screaming and then having the child do something much more effective, much more appropriate, and then rewarding that. But what I really recommend for you is there's a really, really good module on IBT, Institute for Behavior Training. I know today we're talking all about IBT and skills, but that's because everything that is in my head and in the heads of all the wonderful senior clinicians at CARD um, were put down into writing into skills and IBT. And so all of these procedures, the challenging, uh, how to manage all challenging behaviors, not just this one, is, is in a very, very good series of modules on IBT. And I would really recommend you start there. Just go, in, go in to IBT, take a look at uh, the list of modules for, and you should find just managing challenging behavior. And it starts there and you can have multiple advanced versions of that where you can truly understand all the functions and how to use various ABA techniques to, to reduce those behaviors. Yeah, I, I always uh, appreciate these discussions because as a parent, like it was so enlightening for me when I, when I finally got it, when I understood, oh, we all do things for a reason. And, and, and when you start to learn about perspective taking and how we're going to teach perspective taking to our kids, you can become a student of that yourself. And, and I always try to put myself in, in the shoes of the kid. And I have no idea why the 13 year old is screaming, but you know, <clears throat> there's a reason. There's definitely a reason why a 13 year old screams. 
And I'm just, I just picture myself because I, I am terrible. If I don't, if I'm not being listened to, I melt down. I, Shannon, melt down. And, uh, you know, if I was trying to convey something and nobody was listening, I, I have been known to yell before. I know that shocks all of you. Um, but if I started yelling because I was that upset because I wasn't being heard and then someone told me to go to my room, oh, heaven help all of you. I would lose myself entirely. Um, yeah. Like that would be like, I would lose it too. And, and I think, you know, um, if you listen very carefully to what Dr. Grand Pichet said and, and work with somebody who's going to find out why was the screaming to begin with, um, because there's something that they needed. And it might be that they just enjoy screaming, but it might not be. It might be that there was something else that they wanted and they didn't have a better way to do it. But sometimes we get so caught up in, well, you know, now I'm telling him to go to his room and he won't go and I have to have that compliance. But I, but I, I hope you listen to Dr. Grampyshay and go back to why. Why is the screaming happening? What was it that he wanted? And what I learned as a parent, very rudimentary, very early on for ABA, was that if, if my child is doing something that is counterproductive to him and our lives and whatever, it's because he wanted something. And, yeah. and I don't want to give him what he wanted when he's screaming. I want to give it to him when he's doing the right thing. And when that clicked in my head, we were, it was like we were off to the races and things started to get better in my life, in his life, and in everybody's life who he touched. And in the meantime, a parent has written in with a different scenario. Um, when my son is frustrated, he cries very loud. We keep telling him to use his words to express his feelings. His speech is functional, but not conversational. So we feel sad that our not express what he feels um, frustrated instead of crying so loud. And she says that he is six. So different scenario, different age child, but again, a you know, behavior and behavior is communication. Yeah, and very similar to a typically developing child. I mean, a lot of times our kids become frustrated and they're so frustrated or so angry or so sad or whatever it is that they just can't stop for a moment to use their words. I would, I, I understand it's sad for parents to see that. I would try a couple of different things. One is, try to get him to voice himself before he gets too carried away. The more, as Shannon was explaining, the more upset we are, the more we lose our words. Um, so it's better to try if you, uh, and I know our parents are very, very astute at, at seeing signs that something bad's about to happen. So if you are able to predict that, almost predict that he's about to have a meltdown, that would be a good time to try to ask him why, um, what's causing the meltdown. The other thing is, this is always, uh, you know, if you remember Shannon in school, we all had two types of tests, right? We had uh, uh, multiple choice types of tests, and then we had tests where you just had to respond, recall tests, right? Where there wasn't a choice. And, and there's a lot of research that shows multiple choices a lot easier because it's all visually kind of a prompt in front of you and you just have to choose one than pulling it completely out of your head. So if you have any idea as a parent of the various things, let's say four things that generally upset your child, then maybe you can either write them or produce a picture icon of each one uh, um, and present those to your child and say, which one of these, what is, why are you upset? Is it because of this or this or this, which one is it? Um, and if you can't make them visual, you could always offer them verbally. I, I just find that our kids do a lot better when there's a visual stimulus. So uh, you could certainly say, are you upset because you want the toy? Are you upset because you don't want to go out? Like give them the options and remember, it's always just two things. You, we want to avoid something or we want to gain access to something. That's it. What is the child trying to avoid? Is, it, is he trying to avoid a, um, a demand that was placed, uh, an environment, a person, an activity? What is he trying to avoid? And, and what is he trying to gain access to? 
it's always either a tangible object or attention or, or again an activity so it's like just figure that out for him what's the most likely scenario and show them to him sometimes you'll be right and he'll say it's that one and then what you can do is you'll say okay then all you have to do is say the following like ask for a break or say later mommy or say i really want that toy or whatever it is right and you teach him to do it appropriately to request appropriately and then you let him have it you completely reward him you calm him down you do all the things that you normally would want to do um that's really the key and if you don't guess then we're not anywhere soft than where we are now, right? It's a matter of just trying to help him uh, find his words. And again, as we mature and as he learns more language, that will improve. One of the things you guys taught us too, because my son never, I mean, there's a lesson in skills about states, about understanding your states and, and languaging them. I'm not sure how, like, but I remember that, when my son couldn't language his states that you guys prompted us to language them for him, right. which was so pivotal for me as a parent because I, no one had ever taught me to do that. No one had ever taught me to label how I was feeling. But so right. for instance, if he was crying, I told the story the other day about a balloon that, that burst. And, and if he was crying that we would say to him, yes, you're feeling sad. Yes, you're feeling frustrated. Yes, you know, you're feeling hot or yes, you're feeling cold or whatever. And, and to language it for him and to affirm for him that he was feeling something and that, and that we were receiving the message of what it was that he, but, but that was healing for me as a parent. It was like, yes, you are, you're feeling sad. Yes, you're feeling frustrated. It, just by me languaging it, it gave us a way to connect. And ultimately he did learn, oh, when, when this is happening, these are the things that I can say that you will understand what, because we labeled it for him. I don't know, is that a thing or was that just us? Such a great thing that you pointed out, Shannon. And for all of us, it's funny to this day, to this day, and you know, Shannon, my oldest daughter is a, uh, has studied psychology, right? And is, she has her master's and she's now thinking about a doctoral program in psychology. And so we're in the same world, she and I. And so we often like go back and forth and analyze our, each other and, and others. <laughs> Fun <laughs> But she was telling me the other day, she was like, sometimes I just tell you something, not because I want your help figuring out how to fix it, but just because I want to feel affirmed. Like, I just want your affirmation. I just want you to say you understand how I feel. And, and so to this day, I need a reminder of what you just said, which is sometimes with our kids, if they're freaking out about something, it's not because, and we as parents tend to like immediately try to figure out how can I help? How can I help? That's really not they want, what they want. They just want that. They want the recognition of how they feel. And as Shannon pointed out, when they're young and, and on the spectrum adds to that, obviously, they don't know how to label how they feel. Even as adults, a lot of times we don't know how to label if it's anxiety or if it's different. What is it? Like, why do I feel this way? I just don't want to go out, you know? So it's like we need people. We, it's the better we get at identifying the different emotions, the more we're able to vocalize what's going on with us. And the, that is magic because it leads to less challenging behavior because challenging behavior is only an expression of uh, how we feel without using the right words. So the more we have the right words, the better it is. Great. And I just, I just want to say to this mom too, at six, um, you know, I, I was still doing that with my son and saying to him, yes, you're feeling frustrated. Yes, you're feeling sad. But by the time he was what, nine, I remember a time when he was upset and I was like, what's going on? And he said, it's fine. I'm just frustrated. That's all. I'm just frustrated. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, all right then. Um, so, you know, but, but that was years of us going, yes, you're feeling frustrated right now. And it's okay to feel frustrated. Um, you know what I mean? 
Uh, I have to say, I, I have to tell myself that sometimes. Uh, okay, we got time for one more question. Uh, yeah, answers to these scenarios. <laughs> Um, how to increase one word manding to two words as he gets frustrated. Frustration is the word of the day, I think. He gets frustrated and, and, leaves, uh, and leaves the motivation behind if we prompt him to say two words. So I think, I think if he's being asked to say two words, the, the, the thing that he wanted isn't, I'm inferring from this that the thing is no, not that important. It's and so he, he's like, forget it. It's not worth it to me. Too much. It's not worth it anymore. Yeah, I would, I would select, uh, I, I wouldn't do, so just to make things a little easier for him, instead of doing it normally, I would say across the board, whatever he wants, you need to now require two words. But if he is getting really frustrated with that, you can start with one, one item. Like whenever he wants juice, he has to say wants juice. And I would prompt it more. For instance, you can even model the entire thing. You can say want juice, and then he has to say want juice. Another way you can prompt it, which is very effective, is by holding up two fingers. So want juice. Give him a visual that you're asking for two things. Uh, another way you can prompt it is by just words on two separate cards. Um, there's a lot of different ways. And you can also write the two words responses on a bunch of different bulletin boards all over the house so that he has visual prompts for that. But the bottom line is he's not going to go to two words unless you require it. And the only way you, re you can require it is by not giving in when he requests the one word. And as Shannon said, if he walks away, he walks away. What you need to do is you, as everything else, you increase the prompt, you increase the reinforcer. That's how you make things easier. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the hardest things about this journey, Dr. Grampy-Shea, is that I used to say this all the time. If I could just know the story and read the last page, mm -hmm. I could get through all the stuff. But a lot of times oh, when so parents are parents are new, it's like they're they're navigating, but they they don't know what the end goal looks like. And you know, we years ago we had a series called the A Word, which sort of showed you one little boy going through this series, and and you got to see the arc to see where he got. So you go, oh, okay, it's all normal. We're on track. This is the next phase, and there will be many more phases. I don't need to get that upset about this one because there are going to be 32 more. I'm going to run out of gas if I get this upset about all of them. And you right. just take it in, and you just keep moving the goalposts, and they get there. Right. And I, I, I always wonder how it is we're going to be able to give that gift to parents. A word isn't available right now for various and sundry reasons, for very good reasons. But um, I. I wish there was a way that we could give parents the whole picture so that we didn't have to worry as much on the path. That's right. I, I, I you know, I remember one, one parent telling me after we had Jen, she was like, just promise me you'll have a second child. And yeah. I was like, well, that's a weird thing. And she was like, no, you don't get to en enjoy the first one because you're so worried about everything that when you have the second child, you go, oh no, it's okay that they're doing that. It'll all work itself out. And I didn't end up having a second child, but um, I, and I think it's the reverse with autism parents. I think when a second child is diagnosed, it's that much harder for an autism parent. But I, I wish there was a way that we could gift parents with, here's, the, here's how the story ends, now do the work. Well, you know, uh, I tell yeah. you, and that's a, it's a good discussion, but like, I wanna tell you as the parent of three typically developing kids, it's the same for us, like it doesn't matter. You, you always look back and you, you're always worried. I, at least I was. I was worried for all three of my kids throughout the whole phase. It never got easier. In fact, in my case, it got harder on the third one since she has <laughs> the exact personality as I do. But like, you know, the, uh, and then you look back and you're like, I should have done this differently or I should have done that differently and so on and so forth. And even me as a, as a lifelong behavioral psychologist, like, you know, I, I struggled with a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, I told you I would sit outside Charlie's room crying, thinking, when is she ever going to stop and uh, go to sleep, you know? So it happens to all of us. And it is, 
just part of, of raising our kids and, and uh, we get better at it. That's why they say grandchildren are so much fun. So we'll <laughs> we, we can only hope, we can only hope. We are out of time, but I just have so appreciated being here with all of you and being here with Dr. Grand Pichet. We thank you for your time, Dr. Grand Pichet. Um, I wanna let folks know that tomorrow on the show, Elaine Hall is gonna be here the young performers from the Miracle Project. They're gonna be talking about their new show that they're debuting tomorrow night. I also wanna remind everybody that we are gonna be, thank you to CARD, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. We're gonna be hosting the virtual memorial for Joanne Lara on Saturday. You can register for that memorial. It's free, it just, you just have to register so you can get the password. Um, you can, it's on uh, Autism Live's website, right, uh, on, on Facebook, excuse me, on Facebook, it's on my Facebook. Please go there, find the link and register for that. That is at 10.30 in the morning Pacific time, so 1.30 Eastern time, and please do the math wherever you are in the world. Uh, Dr. Grampichet will be one of the speakers, and um, we will remember a life well lived. So um, that will be on Saturday, but join us back here tomorrow for the Miracle Project in Lane Hall and these wonderful kids, wonderful performers. Um, and then on Friday, we're having Vince Redman, licensed and marriage family therapist. Vince Redman will be joining me and Nancy Allspot Jackson. That's what's happening. Uh, until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Thank you, Dr. Grampy Shea.